morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. Let me try that again. Good morning, everybody. Good, Good morning. morning. Patrick. All right, there you go. That's Thank you. Glad that everybody's here. Uh, for those who don't know me, I know everybody in the room knows me, but for anybody tuning in online, my name is uh, Patrick Cherry, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Lord Church, and we're glad that everyone is here, uh, whether you're here virtually or you're here in the presence of the group today. We're glad that you are, are here and worshiping with us. Uh, we are now in week six of a series that we've been doing. We have one more week after this, uh, but we're doing a series called A Church Like Jesus. And we've taken this question of what does it look like if we really look to Scripture and look to the ministry of Jesus and how He lived and how He taught and what He modeled as we are the church. Because I think we could all admit that these days that sometimes the church doesn't always resemble the Savior of the church. And so we're looking at what, what does it look like to be maybe look a little less at the budget, which is important, a little less at the policies, which are important, a little less at the structure, which is important, and say, what is it that Jesus is doing that maybe we aren't valuing in the same way? And so in past weeks, we've looked at different things such as invitation and how Jesus is very invitational and how he is hospitable and reaching out to people. And anybody else, what, what are some of the other things we've covered? This is your pop quiz. Follow up and caring, absolutely. Especially when it comes to guests that come in our midst. How, how do we show the love and concern of Christ if even someone we've just met once? It's important. Anything else? Crickets. <laughs> this is what we need sound effects for the sound board. You know, crickets. Uh, let's see, we did uh, worship. Rachel discussed what it, what it means to be a church like Jesus and worship like Jesus and worship Jesus. But we talked about creative communication and how Jesus was creative and how he shared the gospel, that, uh, that he contextualized the timeless truth that he had, that he contextualized it in creative ways so that people could hear it. Uh, we talked about first impressions. First impressions that someone has coming into the group of our gathering and why they matter. They're not the end-all, be-all, but it matters and why we should take a look at that. And uh, this week, we are going to be talking about the next generation. That's what we're going to discuss this week. But before I go any further, let's go to God in prayer. And let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are, that you love us, that we gather in your name. We thank you for the space in which we are allowed to gather to worship now. Um, we are grateful for the group and the spirit in which they gather now. Lord, as we dig deeper into your word, and, and these are just three verses that we're looking at today, but as we, as we look into them, as we seek to hear what it is that they are saying to us now, Lord, we pray that you would silence any voice in us but your own, and that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that as my word strays from yours, may it fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Daddy, I want to help. Those are the words coming out of my son's mouth. Daddy, I want to help. And you know, the first time I missed the voice, or probably more honestly, I tuned out the voice. You see, I was, I was already too busy. 
I was trying to get dinner together. I'd already had a long day being out of the house all day, and I was scrambling to come home to get dinner for the family so that I could then run off to another meeting. And so I was just, I didn't have time. And so again, I heard this little voice, Daddy, I, I want to help. And again, I was just too busy with my task. I just brushed off the side. I'm, I'm working, I'm cutting out vegetables, I'm turning on the stove, I'm turning on the, the, the whatever was on the eye that was cooking, and I'm just worried about everything else. And then again, it's, Daddy, Daddy, can I help? Daddy, can I help? I must admit that I real quickly flashed, no, I don't have time. I have dinner to cook. I watched out of the corner of my eye as he walked away, dejected. And I realized in that moment that my anger really wasn't meant for him. My frustration and anger was my own problem. It was my own impatience. It was my own sense of urgency. All my son wanted to do was to be with his daddy and help. Can anyone relate to that? Anybody been in a similar circumstance to that? Or am I the only tired, frustrated, and bad parent in the room? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs>
to Jesus sitting down and then the, the corralling children around him. That's my Jesus. It's a good thing that we've come so far in 2,000 years, hasn't it? Yeah? We, we don't treat children like they did at all, do we? So here's a disclaimer. There is a bit of a distinction in how we view children and how they were viewed in Jesus' time. I mean, children during, you know, first century Palestine and throughout the Roman Empire had very little value except the value that they brought to their parents as project. Because you wanted to have children. The more children you had, the more valuable you were. And a woman who gave birth to many children, especially sons, was of great value to her husband. But beyond that, children and women had little value until, especially the children, until they were adults and could provide and take part in the family in that way. There's a reason that it often says that the, the children and the women were kind of ushered off to the side. And so, yes, there is a difference in how they view children to us. But I wonder if we are all that different today. I mean, sure, we plan our lives around children. We plan our, we plan our schedules around children. I mean, how much time is spent ushering children from one activity to the next? Pick them up from school, got to run by, get a snack, get a change of clothes, go off to soccer practice. But even though we spend so much time ushering them to activities, helping build their college resumes, having them dress well, looking nice, maybe even occasionally take them to church to learn morals, Jesus couldn't possibly be speaking to us, could he? Bring the little children to me. I mean, we're, we're the modern disciple, aren't we? Aren't we modern? Aren't we smarter? Aren't we better? Aren't we more advanced and superior? Are we? The best teacher spends intentional time with a pupil, especially with children. Intentional time and walk alongside of them. They let them take part and take responsibility, allowing them to learn and to mess up. But far too often, we're just too busy and they are just too slow and too messy. I mean, my earlier example, that was it. My son was just too slow and too messy and I just needed to get it done. And so I missed the opportunity to teach him. How many of us are too quick to usher our children off the side. Again, maybe, maybe your children are grown and out of the house, but you have children around. You have children in the church. You have grandbabies on the way, perhaps, or already here. How often do we usher them off to the side? How often are we too quick to throw a kid in front of a screen, whether it's a television or a smartphone or tablet or something, just to keep them busy? And sure, we're ushering them off to all these activities, but how many parents are actually engaging in that? Or are they just sitting off to the side or in their car checking email and making phone calls? Are we really engaging our children? We bring them to church to get involved, but oftentimes it's just to usher them off to the side so that the grown-ups can have grown-up time with less distraction. Just let the kids go off. And as somebody who's better equipped than me, teach them that Jesus stuff, that moral stuff. 
So I ask this question. Do we really view children, do we really view this next generation as Jesus does? Do we? Do we always view these beautiful, innocent, I use that in quotes in, for a reason, children as Jesus does? What exactly is Jesus saying about the next generation? And how does a church like Jesus view children? So I think before we can say anything else, we have to start with one very important point. That perhaps it seems elementary, but I think we have to truly understand this if we're going to get anything else. And so the first point is this. The next generation is deeply loved by God. It seems simple, doesn't it? But this is profound. This next generation is deeply loved by God. It's not just loved by God. It's deeply loved by God. We see this in action as Jesus welcomes the children into his presence. In a world of adults, he says, the children, the children, they are mine. I created them. I love them. I redeemed them. I'm helping to mature them. They are mine and they are dearly loved. And so should you love. It's so important that Jesus and Matthew actually gives this warning. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Catch that last part? It would be better if you didn't value these children like Jesus. It would be better for you to tie a 130-pound weight around your neck and go for a swim. How many people are going to do a stay float like that? <laughs> Keith, did you train with a millstone when you were training for your triathlon? No, sir. You didn't? Okay, maybe next time. <laughs> and then you'll do better. What kind of value do you think God is placing on children in this passage? What do you think? A very high value, right? I mean, this is a bold statement. I don't think Jesus is kidding around here. And did you catch that we are to treat children with the same love and respect that we would treat our Savior and Creator of the known and unknown universe? Did you catch that? We're supposed to treat them like Jesus. This sounds pretty harsh, but do you think God is speaking out of anger or out of love? What do you think? Do you think God is speaking out of anger or out of love? Why does a mother bear so dangerous when her cubs are seen to be in danger? There's a maternal instinct and I think God has this maternal and paternal instinct for his creation, his children. And so ultimately, it's out of love. I love and I care for these children so much. This is how much I care for them. So let's not confuse the harshness of the statement 
with the true, deep, and divine love it conveys, God cares deeply for our children in the next generation. Do we? And that's our first point. A church like Jesus places great value on the next generation and what they say and what they do and how they spend their time and their resources and, yes, their money. Does the way we do church and do ministry value the next generation? Do children feel welcomed into our presence? Do parents feel supported? Do we make room for the next generation? Do our deeds match our proclamation when we say we care about kids? Does our budget reflect the value God places on the next generation? Do we truly care about the next generation as much as Jesus? Because they are deeply loved by our God and deeply valued. So we move on to our next point. Our next point is this, and this seems logical as well. If they're deeply loved by Jesus, the next generation is our future hope, or the disclaimer, or our nightmare. Do we often consider this? Because we, we complain about the next generation a lot, don't we? Every generation loves to blame the generation after but the great irony is that every generation that follows you is a product of your parenting and mentoring and caring. And so we're partially to blame. I'm very much to blame for my kids and their generation, so sorry, world. But I once heard it put this way, and I know I've said this statement before, but that the church is always only one generation away from extinction. The church is always only one generation away from extinction. Extinction. That's a big statement, isn't it? It carries a lot of weight. But is it just the church that's affected by the next generation? The children we care for, the children in our midst, they are our future. When we're bandaging a knee of a little child, this could be the knee of a future doctor. When we're correcting and disciplining the child in love, this could be another attorney. When we're teaching the children, this could be the next future leader, politician, CEO. When we're changing the diaper, we could be changing the diaper of the next world leader. When we're parenting these children, they could be the next fathers and mothers of this world. When you're teaching a child how to hold a pencil, you could be teaching the next great artist. Or when you're teaching them how to keep a beat, it could be the next famous musician. We are teaching the next followers of Jesus. We're teaching them how to read, how to love, to obey his word. But are we? Proverbs have wonderful wisdom. In Proverbs, we hear a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. These children are our future. And if we're not careful, 
that could be our nightmare? Are we taking seriously how we are nurturing them, how we're bringing them up? Because one day, when we have little say in what's going on, they will be the ones in power. Will we have nurtured them and set them up the right way? So our second point is this. A church like Jesus intentionally, let's not miss that word, intentionally mentors and disciples the next generation in the most effective way. See, mature adults are not just raised by people who are good, but by people who intentionally teach good. Being a good person doesn't mean you're going to have good children. There's a lot of good people out there who do not have good children. It takes somebody who intentionally teaches good. Oftentimes a sinning, faulty parent. None of us are truly good. But are we teaching good? But even all the parents' energy in the world cannot save their children. Only Jesus can. So do we believe that? Do we parent as if and teach and mentor as if Jesus is the only Savior? Are we telling them about that? Are we teaching them about that? Are we leading the, genera- the next generation to Jesus and creating a faith that sticks? That doesn't just get all the right Sunday school answers and then when I go off to school, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want. Are we being effective in how we are teaching our children? Are we being intentional? There's been some great research over the years. In fact, I shared it with some of you and I talk about it a lot. Uh, two years ago at our national gathering, we had uh, Kara Powell, uh, Dr. Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute in Pasadena, California, teach about her book, Sticky Thing. That she and Chad Clark, another professor, did some research of what in some of these churches is creating a faith that sticks. When they go off to college, the kids don't seem to just lose their faith and go off the deep end. What is different with the churches who have a higher percentage of faith that sticks? Because they've learned that it wasn't the churches that had the banking youth program with the charismatic leaders, that they had just as poor percentages as the small churches who tried to do all that. But what were some of the common denominators? One of the biggest was intergenerational relationships. They said that children need at least seven substantial relationships with people other than their parents, not their own age, who are older, in the church. That helped to create a faith that sticks. Someone that knew their name when they walked in the door and was like, hey, how's it going? How did your piano recital go? How did, how did your soccer game go? I was going to come, but you know, I wasn't able to, but how did it go? How did you do? How's that mean that you've been having trouble with? Are you healing up okay? How's that test? Did the test go okay? I know you were really stressed about it, but you worked so hard to prepare for it. These relationships are important. And so often, we are ushering the children off to the side that we're not getting those interactions. Discipleship at home. The church can't do all the heavy work. Yes, we are supposed to support the children, but are we supporting the parents so that they can be the disciples in their kids' life? Parents have the most impact on their children, more so than anybody else. Are we supporting the parents? Are, parent, are, are families spending time reading the Bible as a family together? 
Do they talk about faith in Scripture? Do they pray together? Do the parents let their children see their faith in action? And what about children in worship? Do we welcome children into worship with us? You know, many behaviors are learned, but so much is observed and caught. I don't know how much I learned by sitting in a pew of the church with my parents, sitting next to my dad, bored out of my mind. But when I think back, I remember the things that were said. I remember watching my father sing a hymn. I remember watching my father being impacted, serving as an usher and inviting me along to come and serve as an usher with him. I saw how my parents were involved in the church. And yeah, it was incredibly boring at times. And we said all these rote prayers and, and decrees and all these different things. And I didn't really know what I was saying, but you know what? I knew the words. And later on, I started to figure out what I was actually saying. And when we go up for snack time with Jesus, which was always my favorite, the first month we got snack time with Jesus, this was the best part. I didn't always understand what we were doing. Especially in my churches, they had the, it looked like the, the funeral blanket over, me, over the top of the table, and, you know, very ceremoniously calm and lifted up and folded, and then there were the big silver containers, and we'd pass out communion to everybody. And they always knew what was going on, but you know what? I started to. And one day, it clicked. That these actions, these things we said, had meaning. And the fact that my parents were doing it week in and week out. They were there. Impacted. Do we welcome children into worship with us? Because you know what? It makes things messy. It makes things loud. But there's no more beautiful sound than a crying baby in the sanctuary. Or the sound of scribbling crayons and pencils that the kid is drawing and listening. I think we forget that children are often listening they are observing what we think they are not. So that leads us to our next point. Church, like Jesus, intentionally their towards the disciples and children. Let's go back to the passage we read earlier, the verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What do you think Jesus is saying? What is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that we should be childish? That if we're childish, we receive the kingdom of heaven? Do you think that's what Jesus is saying? If that was, there'd be a lot of people that were saved. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of childish people out there. Now what Jesus is saying here is the next generation, they enhance our present and they shape us if we let them. See, most of the greatest teachers in the world would be able to, would tell you that they learn something new every day. They aren't always the experts. And that no matter how long you've been in the teaching profession, the, the kids each and every day will surprise you and show you something new. And for parents in the room, 
You've probably even had those moments where your child taught you something. Oftentimes at the most inopportune time, you'll look at that and say, what did you just say? What did you just say? And in my almost five-year-old, there's been some times that I'm thinking, where did this wisdom come from? Where did you hear this? You didn't hear it from me. Where did you get this? Some of the most profound insights, things that I just, I couldn't see, because children see things differently, and we can learn from our children. It doesn't mean that we stop being parents. We should always be parents. We should be parents and mentors before we're a child's friend. But it doesn't mean that we are still learning. Because they see the world different than us. I mean, many of the people in this room didn't grow up as technology natives. So you've learned how to use a smartphone. My kids grew up knowing about smartphones. They did everything as touch screen. I don't know how often my two-year-old is trying to touch the TV. <laughs> it's not touch screen, but sorry, we're not that advanced. We can learn from our children. They quite literally have a different perspective. Can you imagine being short and viewing the world at everybody's needs? But yet, that's the view. I bet they have a very different perspective than you. We can learn from our children. Children bring energy. I mean, I know many of us have said years, we can learn how to siphon this up and bottle that energy. Man, we could be millionaires. Sell that energy. But they bring an energy to the group. I mean, you know, here we are, church plant. When we started, we just had my kids. And now we have, you know, nine kids back there. I mean, who, who back here has been back there when we've had all nine kids plus back there? Different energy, isn't it? Very different energy when you have the kids running around after worship as we're tearing up the chairs. But you know what? It's one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. Because I hear the laughter. To hear the chatter, even as I hear the cries. Here we have children around us. It gives us energy. Children bring a different perspective and they bring refreshing insights, they bring energy. Simply put, community is best done together. Are we being intentional in that as a church? So, our final point is this a church like Jesus makes room at the table for the next generation and seeks to learn from them. Too often the church has the mentality that we often have at family gatherings that there's the children's table. Who really wants to sit at the children's table? Well, lady, I know. <laughs> but it's, okay, just set the children off to the side. But what would it look like if we invite the children to sit with us? Instead of always just ushering them off their own space. What if we did more together? I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things in our, our recent outreach to the Carolina Assisted Living. And here we are, we're, we're doing mission work to this group of people, and we have all ages. The kids were having a blast, and the residents were loving it. In fact, these kids were bringing a smile to the face of the residents there that none of us were equipped to do. Are we giving them a place at the table? Are we making room, intentionally making room for them? Are we listening? Are we actively listening to them? Are we reflecting on their perspective? And are we making them a priority? A church like Jesus does. 
So as we consider these points, a church like Jesus values the next generation because they are deeply loved by God. A church like Jesus intentionally mentors effectively disciples. And a church like Jesus, Jesus makes room and learns from the next generation. Simply put, a church like Jesus cares about the next generation. And if we hope to see our community changed by hope and healing of Jesus, we have to care about the things that our Savior cares about. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God and pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the next generation that you placed in our care, and we pray, great God, that you would help us to be good stewards of these children, good mentors, good parents. We would be family. Help us to make wise choices as we prepare to bless our children's children and to see your church and your message carried on even in our absence. In Jesus' name we pray.